Well, good morning. Welcome to Four Corners. My name's Ben, and we're kicking off our message series, Men at the Manger, where we're looking at different vignettes of men who encountered Jesus right about the time he was born, the difference it made in their lives, and the difference it can make in your life as well. And specifically, I've asked the women in this church to give me a little latitude over the next few weeks to specifically talk to men. Now, just so we know what's going on, so you know what's going on, doesn't mean I'm leaving women out at all. In fact, almost everything I say can apply to you directly. Um, and so feel free to, you know, engage God's word with us. Um, but here, here's the challenge that as a pastor I'm struggling with just a little bit. It's that at, at emotional times, men tend to check out. It's not that we're uninterested or that we don't care. It's that sometimes the language of sentimentality or emotion is a little foreign to us. Um, we haven't seen it modeled, doesn't come natural, doesn't fit our personality. And so at things like the sentimentality around Christmas, for instance, sometimes it's hard for men to fully engage that. So as a pastor, what I want to do is I want to help men and, and women, boys and girls of all ages, I feel like a circus guy up here, but I, I, um, I try to help everybody engage the event of Jesus coming to the world and unpack it and ask a very basic question, because Jesus came into the world, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? And specifically, I want to I challenge men today. Now, before we jump fully into the message series, I have to tell you something cool about the, uh, uh, going on in the life of this church. Um, we are, as a church, getting ready for company. Getting ready for company. So do you do this in your home? You're about to have somebody over, and you do that last-minute sweep through the house to make sure things are put up. Underwear is off the floor. That, see, I'm talking to men. Um, underwear is off the floor. Toilets are wiped down. And, uh, and, and you're kind of, you know, you're ready. You vacuum. Um, you know, you're getting ready for company. So around here, we're getting ready for company because the biggest event, the most well-attended event in the history of our church year is about to happen here at Christmas Eve Eve. And so some of you are relatively new to the church. Let me tell you just a little bit about this. It won't take much time. But Christmas Eve Eve is that time that we ask all of you to bring your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your schoolmates, and bring them to church. And we take time on December 23rd to reflect on Jesus. We do some Christmas carols. We do some candle lighting. We do have a cookie bar. There's typically Santa's here. There's uh, reindeer. Kids are going to pump it up. There's pictures available. And we focus our minds and attention on a lot of fun and a lot of joy and then we turn clearly right to the gospel message for a few moments, and we give people a chance to respond. But the, the house gets packed. And so last year in this room, we were well over the capacity of this room. There were like 50, 60 people sitting in the hallway. And um, while that's going on, I want to make you aware that we also have several firemen that attend this church. That's not good, friends. Uh, we either have to ask them to leave our church, um, or... Or we have to manage a little bit better. So here's what we're doing to try to help manage a little bit better. We're asking you to help us by identifying which service you want to go to. 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. Identical services, pick either one, same programming, both places. But we can't afford to break the law uh, on fire code and all that sort of thing. So you go online through the website uh, fourcornerchurch.com, you can click a link on, and you can get free tickets for you, your family, your friends, everybody's going to come, and you can pick which service you're going to go to, and it helps us keep account so that both in programming for kids especially, but in terms of just this room, you can kind of get a feel for where we are 
And I'm going to ask you, some of you, especially if you don't have kids that have to go to bed, would you please consider doing the 9 o'clock service? It's a little less well-attended. I think you'll enjoy the fact that you don't have to sit on somebody's lap. Um, And so just go ahead and make that happen. So if you're wondering why we're doing tickets this year, it's because we're getting ready for company. And of course, we're not going to turn anybody away. If you don't have a ticket, of course you can come. Of course you can. And if you forget your ticket, no big deal. We have an electronic copy. If you didn't get a ticket, it doesn't matter. Sign up for 7 o'clock. Want to come to 9? Go ahead and come to 9. We just want to get a sense for those people that can plan and anticipate what's going on. And I hope you'll allow us this latitude. The truth is, as a growing church, we're probably going to have to do this more and not less. So again, we're stuck with the basic conundrum. Do we simply want to say to people, no, thank you, you're not welcomed. And we won't use our words to do that. We just won't have a seat for them. Or do we get ready for them by trying to manage things like crowd control? So are you with me on this a little bit? You're going to go online to fourcornerschurch.com. You're going to click the free tickets link. And then there you're going to go in and say what you want. And if it comes all the way up to Eve, Eve, and you forgot to do it all, or you're just like, you're just not going to cooperate. I get it. Some of you just aren't going to cooperate. That's fine. Hey, show up whenever. Just do me a favor and take the seats in the hallway, okay? Um, And let those folks that cooperated have the good seats in the room. All right, so with that said, uh, in in your little packet of information, there were these two uh, cute little um, square invites. These are our Christmas Eve Eve invite. They have all the information about when we're doing and what we're doing right here. You can use these cards to invite your family and friends to be with us. All right, so there we go. Men at the manger. So, man, let me tell you something. At Christmas time you, me, us, we have to push past the seasonal sentimentality. And as followers of Jesus, we have to push into a word that doesn't get a lot of playtime. See, when Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives, man, he calls us to obedience. He gets to be the leader and we get to be the follower. And at Christmas, we have an incredible opportunity as men, as followers of Jesus, to look at what happened in some other men's lives as for a moment of time they focused all of their attention on Jesus and the fact that the Lord had come to this earth. And that encounter and that reflection on it and that engagement fully changed them. You heard a little bit about that in a dramatic form in the video. I I want you to think about One of the key words that you're going to hear all through this Christmas season, especially in a Christian context, it's the word Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't, but that word Emmanuel, words, names, especially in the Bible, have a particular importance associated with them. And so when God gives somebody a name, usually that name uh, anticipates that person's role or their significance. There's a meaning in the name. And when the Bible says that Jesus is going to be called Emmanuel, That word Emmanuel means God with us, that he would be the physical representation of God with us on this earth. So when the shepherds go and they see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they encounter the Lord of the universe. And they get to see that God has, in fact, come to be with us. Now, this phrase, God with us, is very important. It's an important phrase because all through the Bible, God keeps drawing attention to that phrase. All the way back in the Old Testament, both in direct language, I will be with you, and in just inference, my spirit will go ahead of you. You will never be alone. This phrase, God with us, is a big deal, but nobody knew it more. Nobody experienced it more candidly and tangibly than when the shepherds knelt there in front of that manger. 
with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Emmanuel, God with us. All the way back in the Old Testament, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God is talking to them about the consequences of sin in their life, God gives hint to Eve that she'll give birth to a son, and God would redeem the world through that son, that God would come and be with people. God wouldn't leave them alone. When Moses... When, when Moses was worried about the call that God had put on his life, and he wanted to be a great man, but he was worried about how he would do it and whether he could do it, God assures him, I'm going to go with you. When Joshua takes over for Moses in the Old Testament, God says to him, don't be afraid, I'll be with you. Jesus comes, and in Matthew chapter 28, he gives us the great commission. And he says to all of his followers there at that time, and he and to us still today, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey. There's where our word obedience is. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he says, and I'll be with you, even to the ends of the earth. It's a really big deal that God came to be with us. And it's a really big deal that God connects the fact that he's with us. We can know that experience that, be changed by that. It's a really big deal that he takes the idea that, he can be, that he'll be with us and we can know it, and that knowing can literally change our lives. See, at Christmas time, maybe more than any other, it becomes very easy to talk about spiritual things. Now, I know that there's a bit of a cultural war going on and Things like Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays upsets a lot of folks. But truly, at this time of year, it's easier than ever to talk about things that have spiritual importance. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. There are going to be Christmas cards. There are lights all over the place. You know, we do the lights because Jesus is the light of the world. Some of you come from a transition, uh, a, a tradition where you light Advent candles, Jesus, the light and the hope of the world. There are Christmas trees that point to the uh, evergreen reality, the ever-living reality of life with Christ. There are gifts given representing that Jesus is the gift to the world. And it's church services and pageants, and it's easy in some regards, but more than God wanting us to talk about spiritual things or to feel sentimental or to just enjoy the season, what God wants from men, from women to acknowledge his lordship and let that reality that he has come, that changes everything, let that impact our lives deeply. And so more than just talking about spiritual things, being around spiritual things, seeing spiritual things, engaging spiritual things, letting it deeply touch our lives is what God wants us to do, to literally turn us. So just think about Jesus coming for a moment. And he comes in the form of a baby, and that shocks everybody because many folks were waiting a coming king who would come in power and would rescue Israel. But instead, he comes in a baby and not in royal, uh, royal regality, but he comes in simple form as a baby in a manger, lowly, shepherds lowly visit him, and it shocks everyone. 
And then he begins to grow up, and he walks around, and literally as people are walking around the streets, they're looking at God all the time surrounding him, but they don't really see him. The reality of who he is doesn't really impact them. They're all around it, but the importance of it is lost on them. It's one of the reasons why I love preaching Christmas series. A lot of my pastor friends don't enjoy it because it's like, how do you tell the same story over and over again? But for me, it's one more chance for all of us to stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. God came to this world. <laughs> he lived among, among us. He encountered everything we encountered. The, the writer of Hebrews says that everything we have faced, he faced. All the loneliness, the fear, the abandonment, the hopes, the joys. Friendships, awkward relationships, crazy encounters. He experienced everything like we have. And at Christmas, we get to once again turn our minds towards that thing. And rather than just talk about it, be around it, be surrounded, we're actually called to fully engage it. And ask that question again. All right, so he's here. He came. What does that mean for me? How does that impact my life? This is what happened in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, do you know this next word? Terrified. <laughs> they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that would be Great joy for all people. Now, man, here's something we know. We all know that the world needs a few more good men. Right when they're a movie title, A Few Good Men? We all know that. And there are going to be sermons all over the country, and there are going to be implications all over our culture, and you're going to have thoughts of reflection as you're engaging your family that you need to grow a little bit personally. And in this message series, what I'm not going to do is beat you up and tell you, step up, be a man. What I want to do instead is, instead of calling you to just be a good man, I want us to take seriously the fact that Jesus came and wrestle with the idea that while the world does need some more good men, clearly, what we're called to, our true calling, is to become men of God. And those can overlap, but really there's a big difference. See, what we're not doing in this church for men, for women ever really is, we're not just calling you to try harder, to work more, to be kinder. Although, let's be honest, some of you need to try harder I mean, and work more and be a little kinder. Clearly, that's what we need to do. But that's not the difference that Jesus coming to this world makes. The difference is, is that Jesus comes to this world and he takes people who have tried hard, who worked to be nicer, who gave it more effort, and they still came up short. They came up short in their ability to fully connect with God. They discovered that their efforts couldn't do it. They came up short in living the full lives they wanted to live with the woman that they married. They've disappointed themselves and her. They came up short with their children. They came up short in their, their own efforts, left them empty, never fully satisfied, and that was where the shepherds were. Give me just a little liberty to reflect on what it must have been like to be a shepherd in those days. 
<laughs> as a shepherd, they, they were near, it was an important job. It's an honest day's work. But it didn't have any social standing. Here's the totem pole. They're down here. King Herod, he's at the top. His men, the Bible calls them the Herodians, they're right here. You know, depending on your political allegiance, you either put Rome all the way at the bottom because you hate them, but in reality, they have a lot of power. Maybe they're just above. But shepherds, they're down here. And it's to those people who hadn't achieved that the angels show up and give them incredible news. And this theme of shepherds and the importance of shepherds gets carried forward from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Shepherding was a big deal in the Bible. It was a big deal. It was honorable. It was infused into the culture. It was such a part of the fabric of their reality that it becomes a major theme in how God chooses to communicate to us about the importance of life with Him. So, for instance, David, in the Old Testament, the guy who kills Goliath, when he is a shepherd... Before he becomes the king, before he does all these great acts, he's a shepherd. And in some point in the future, after being a shepherd, he reflects on what that's like. And he says, it's one of the most famous words in the Bible, Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I've been a shepherd of sheep, but the Lord is my shepherd. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It's a powerful passage about the role of shepherds and the importance of shepherds. It's such a big deal that when Jesus comes in the New Testament, he talks regularly about the fact that he, Jesus, is the great shepherd of all people. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah says that God's people are like sheep without a shepherd, and they're wandering aimlessly on the hillside, and nobody leads them to green pastures or still waters, and they're aimless and hopeless. And then he says in Jeremiah 23 that God would send a shepherd, but not just one. He would send shepherds to care for God's people. And they would help guide and direct. And then I want to tell you something about that passage. In some very real sense, when God said in Jeremiah 23 through the prophet that he would send a shepherd, but not just a shepherd, but shepherds who would guide people, meant in part God was talking to you. Now it was easier if you had lived in the New Testament time when you read that passage And when you heard Jesus talk about the role of shepherds, it's easier to understand all that that means because it's a part of your cultural consciousness. Now, you know, a couple thousand years later, the role of shepherds, it's it's different. It's not here in front of us. We, We put pictures of them on our Christmas cards, but the reality of what that life was like and what they did is somewhat lost on us. But the reason... The the angels go to the shepherd is in part to remind us that Jesus would in fact be the great shepherd. That no matter where you are in the totem pole of life, God has a call to you. But even more than that, I think what's happening is, is God is capturing for us, all of us, but specifically I want to talk to men today, all of us, the role and the importance of being a shepherd in our lives. So as men of God... We're shepherds. 
We're shepherds of our lives and our areas of influence. God has put things under your care. God has put you in charge of things. You have influence. Some of you don't have all that you want, but you have some. Some of you have more than you can handle. And when we talk about Jesus coming to this earth at Christmas time and the role of shepherds in that story, it gives us a chance to pause and reflect on what does it mean for me, Ben, to be a shepherd? In what way am I a shepherd? What are the implications of me being a shepherd? How does Jesus coming to the earth make me a shepherd? And how does Jesus model for me what it is to be a shepherd? Of course, I don't mean that you have sheep. But I want you to hear how Jesus begins to unpack the meaning of shepherd in John chapter 10. Let's see if we can't pull a few truths out for us. John chapter 10, here's what the Bible says. Jesus speaking, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, a group of religious people, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Imagery here. There's a pen and there's a door. Folks who get into the pen in ways other than the door, they're not the legitimate leader. But the legitimate leader comes in right through the door because he has nothing to hide. He not, has nothing but good intention. It's his place. He's there. It's normal. There's nothing odd about him walking through the door. So because of that, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and then the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Interesting, in Jesus' day, at night, often there would be large pens, and multiple shepherds, and multiple herds of sheep would come into a pen, and a particular shepherd would go in, and he would give his sheep calls. I don't know what that sounds like. I'm not a real shepherd, all right? And he would give his sheep calls, and he his sheep would begin to separate from the herd and they would follow him out the gate into the pastures where he was going to lead them. And so he calls them and they go ahead of him and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then verse 5, but they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not, do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus is trying to paint a picture for them. So verse 7, therefore Jesus said to them, verily, or very truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. In other words, Jesus is repeating that idea we focused on a few weeks ago. He is the way. There's something unique and special about him. But the sheep haven't listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever comes in and goes out uh, and find pasture. The thief comes in only to kill, steal, and destroy. And I've come that people have made a life and have it to the full. The role of the shepherd is to protect this life thing. And to maximize the life thing. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the hired hand, now we get this distinction, a shepherd versus a hired hand, is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But verse 14, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, Jesus says. Then he says, I have other sheep that aren't like in this pen. I got to go bring them. I, I got to be out finding all of my sheep. And they too will listen to my voice, 
and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it for me, but I lay it down on my own accord. In these passages, we get all kinds of imagery about the power of a person who embraces what it is to be a shepherd. Not a hireling who does it out of obligation or personal gain, but a shepherd who embraces his call. A shepherd who embraces his role and does it willingly. What does a shepherd look like versus what does a hireling look like? Four quick ideas. The shepherd knows his sheep. The shepherd, in our case, knows his family. Ladies, I don't mean you any disrespect, but I feel like in our culture today, in an attempt to legitimately raise the value of women, which historically has not been high enough, I think, his, I think unintentionally sometimes what happens is that in an attempt to raise that, sometimes the role of a man gets made less. Now, maybe that's not happening in your family, so just ignore what I'm saying, but men, listen to me for just a second. The truth is, is that you are called to lead and have a leadership role in your family. doesn't mean you're the only leader. I think the Bible's pretty clear that husbands and wives lead together. I think you have to figure out what that mechanically looks like in your family, but that's a different discussion for us. At the end of the day, the Bible is very clear that men are to be leaders in their family, leading influence, leading their kids, leading their wife, leading financially, leading relationally, leading spiritually. And in this story about Jesus being the shepherd, we get a chance to reflect on a very simple truth. How well do I know my sheep? My kids aren't sheep. This week they were. But generally they're not, all right? This is not to degrade the sheep. The sheep were highly valued, highly praised. They had a functional role in the culture. But more than that, they were an image of those that needed protected and cared for. How well do we know our family? Let's talk about the opportunity we get over the next few days. That the best way to get to know our family is to spend time with them. And over the holiday season, we're going to get a little more extra time to spend time with our family. Some of you are going to have days off you don't normally have. There are going to be special events and meals. There's going to be that time, hopefully, unwrapping a gift or two. And we get time to spend time with our family. And family time doesn't happen just because we're in the room together, does it? No. The kind of time I'm talking about where we invest to get to know our family is more than just being in close proximity to one another. It requires us to engage them, to talk to them, to ask questions and let them talk. It's easy to be in the same room and not engaged, in the same way that it's easy to go through a Christmas season and miss the meaning. But a shepherd, a shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd because just at the sound of his voice, there's a familiarity and a a comfort that comes. Men, we're called to shepherd our families, and it's a high and honorable calling And it's one that our culture, on their totem pole of importance, places very low. And it's one that, for a lot of us in the room, we didn't come equipped because we had great role models to watch and observe. 
And so we come to this role somewhat ill-equipped, underprepared, without clear measures of what it looks like to really succeed. But we're called to know our families. That may sound incredibly simplistic, but I submit to you that's an incredibly hard thing to do. I know, I know my kids' names. The truth is I struggle with their birthdays. They like to quiz me. I almost never get it right. And the unspoken implication is, of course, I'm a horrible father. It's, a, it's an ongoing joke in our family. But beyond things like dates and times, let me tell you what I do know about my kids. I know what is the personality of my kids. I know what motivates my kids. I know how to speak words to them that says to them in their own way, I love them. I'm not perfect at it, but that's a, gr- that's a growing point for me as I'm trying to get to know and deeply understand my kids. Guys, we have an opportunity this holiday season, no matter what we've done up to this point, to re-engage the conversation, to know our kids, not just as they were, but as they're becoming and who they are now and who they're becoming. To know our wives, to get to know them, what their passions and joys are, and to value them for who they are. One of the greatest gifts we can give our family is the gift of knowing them, understanding them, and embracing them right where they are. The best gift you'll give your family this holiday season is you bringing your full self to them in relationship, taking time to hear and listen. It's more important than the next Xbox or PS3 or fit bracelet, probably not as nice as a a big screen TV, but getting close, you have a chance to get to know your family this holiday season. As we think about the shepherds, you see imagery of a nativity when you drive by and you see those shepherds kneeling there. Think about the fact that they came and encountered this baby. But that was just the beginning point. It wasn't the idea of being in proximity with this baby. It was the idea of getting to know this baby and what it meant for him to come and what it meant for them. Shepherds knew their flocks, but they also led their flocks. During his earthly ministry, Jesus instructed his disciples, teaching them how to both read and understand the scriptures. He led them in that way. He sent them out to do things, and they talked about it. He modeled for them certain things, and they did it, and he watched them, and he led them in that way. He let a handful of them see him at his weakest moments when he prayed in the garden and he modeled for them what it was to be honest and transparent in a relationship with God. Jesus led by doing with, by showing, by engaging, by encouraging. There is a mantle of leadership on every man in this room. And it's incredibly complex It's challenging, it's difficult, and it's exactly what, when Jesus spoke about the enemy coming to seek, to kill, steal, and destroy, this leadership mantle you have is exactly where he wants to come against you. To not lead yourself well, to not lead your family well, to not lead the influence and the responsibility you have well. And so the methods will differ by family and by your circumstance, but God has called us to lead. And this Christmas season, we get a chance to think about what does it mean to lead and to do it willingly, 
and to let God lead us as we lead others. And some of us lead because we have formal position to lead. Others of us lead because we simply have influence. Either way, we're called to lead. This Christmas season as shepherds, men, we have a chance to get to know our family better and to lead our family in a different way moving forward. I think this Christmas season we also have a chance to think about what it means to provide for our families. The shepherd led the sheep to green pastures and still waters, things they needed for survival. So we can think a little bit about material provision. The truth is, in our age, and I'm not here to beat anybody up, in our age, it seems like we've prolonged adolescence so that you can have a 30-year-old adolescent or a 40-year-old adolescent who's never really embraced the idea that part of what it means to be a man, biblically speaking, I'm not talking culture, I'm not talking Americana, I'm talking biblically, part of what it means to be a man is to embrace work and to provide and Look, if you're in the middle of a situation where you're struggling with a job, I'm not talking to you if you're trying. That's not. But, but the truth is, is that part of what it means to be a shepherd is embracing what it means to provide, to contribute to the nourishment, physically speaking, of the family. There's a hundred ways to do that. I, I'm not resorting to some 1950s model. I'm just talking biblically. Men, we have to wrestle with what does it mean to help provide. But that's not the only way that it that we have to think about providing for our family. I think we have to talk about spiritual provision as well. Shepherds, biblically speaking, provided spiritually. When Jesus is talking about him being the good shepherd and then those that follow under him understand not just that he provided for them physically. In fact, Jesus did very little of that. But what he did do was he provided spiritually. And I think this might be the case where more than any other area of life, men, this holiday season, we have a chance to think through, make some hard decisions about how we're going to provide for our family spiritually. And I want to give you major kudos today because right now you're already doing a major portion of that. You're here. It's a big deal to be here. A bunch of your buddies are in bed doing something else. It's a little rough outside. They're probably not golfing. If it were nice, they'd be golfing playing whatever, you're here. You're making an investment in yourself spiritually. You're in a learning environment so that you can grow in hopes that you can then spill that over onto the folks that you're responsible to shepherd. Good for you. But what other ways would God like to take this holiday season, build a fire under the idea that you're here to help spiritually provide for your family so that in this season you can approach 2015 with clearer direction and a better sense of what God's calling you to do See, all I'm doing today is giving you a chance to think through a few categories. How well do you know your family? And could this holiday season be the time of giving them the gift of getting to know them on a deeper level? How well do you lead yourself and your family or the people that you have influence over? Are you providing beyond just materially? Are you making that spiritual investment in the same way that you're worried about your financial responsibilities? There's a fourth category that the shepherd did that Jesus illustrated in our passage. The shepherd protects. (laughs) The shepherd protects his family. The Bible tells us that the good shepherd's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Gives up his will for the benefit of others. 
And this is about as countercultural a message as you'd ever see. Because in our booyah culture, our brah culture, we tell men, no, just stay in adolescence. And in adolescence, you get what you want when you want it. There's no delayed gratification. You want that thing, go at it. That's the real life, getting what you want, going for the gusto. But God calls us, not as good men, but as godly men, to temper that and simply ask this question. What's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for those I care for? How do I lay down my life for those that I'm responsible for? Some of you in this room, you're not married yet. You're younger. You're, you're thinking about it. Some of you recently married or you just, just had a kid. You have an incredible opportunity this holiday season to think through. How do I really know my family? How do I want to know them? How am I going to lead? How am I going to provide materially and spiritually? How am I going to lay down my life for the people that God has given me responsibility to? How am I going to, if you're already married, protect my marriage moving forward? What safeguards am I going to put in place to protect my marriage as a result of the fact that Jesus came in this world and he's the Lord of life and he calls me to follow him in obedience as the great shepherd? So that makes me a, an under-shepherd. How am I going to know them, lead them, provide for them, protect them, lay down my life? How am I going to protect my marriage? Guys, some of us, some of us need to be building some fences around our marriage because we're playing too close to the edge. Some of us have patterns of behavior in our own life that we've let run too far. And this holiday season, we have a chance because Jesus came into this world to dial some of that back and get back to a healthy place that protects the sanctity of our commitment to our wives. To guard our eyes. To keep lust and anger and jealousy at bay. We have an opportunity because Jesus did in fact come that where we've blown it in these areas to receive his forgiveness and have a fresh start. This holiday season, we can open the gift of what it means for Jesus to be the great shepherd and call us to be under shepherds. We can unwrap that gift today and every day of 2015. So that no matter how you come to this, this discussion, you can leave this discussion unwrapping an incredible gift that will literally change the trajectory of your role moving forward. That's how powerful it is that Jesus has come into this world and called us to something great. As the guy in the video said, he chose you. He didn't choose you to lead somebody else. He didn't choose you to make somebody else's priorities first. He chose you to invest in your area, with your sheep, with your flock, with the things he's put in front of you. And he's equipped you. And he's equipping you. And he forgives you along the way. But the call is still there to be more than just a good man and in fact become a godly man. Knowing my family, leading my family, providing materially and spiritually protecting my family, which means protecting my marriage, and it means protecting my children. So knowing what they're doing, engaging them, talking to them about their interests, helping them interpret the world around them. 
These are really, really big deals for you and I. And I didn't come into my role fully equipped. I came into my role hopeful and broken. And I've had to learn, and I'm still learning. But this Christmas season, I get to open the gift once again of what God has done for me in Jesus calling me to the highest calling. Can you imagine what it was like to have been a shepherd in that day and have the angel say to you, go look at that baby. You go now. To have been chosen for that high thing. And if you can't wrap your mind around that, wrap your mind around this instead. God looked at you and chose you as a shepherd to make your family and your influence And your responsibility, such a high priority that you feel an incredible tension that you can't live up to it. It's actually a good tension. And in that tension, let it drive you to your knees. The same posture that the shepherds took in front of that manger. Drive you to your knees in humility. Acknowledging how great that thing is. How great our Lord is. And how ill-equipped we are to fully live up to all he's called us to do. And in that place of humility that can be so hard for us men, honest humility, God does an incredible work. So men, the gift to you this Christmas is the call that God gave you. The gift to you this Christmas is yet another year to begin planning and thinking about how you're going to do what God's called you to do, no matter what you've done up to this point. The gift to you is that God has put people in your life already over which you have influence. And you can begin to think not in terms of just good things, but godly things. Not in terms of just being around it, but letting what's happening around, it, around you impact you. Not just immersing in spiritual stuff, but embracing all that God has for you. And over the next few weeks, we're going to drill down and unpack it a little bit. And I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to encourage you. Don't leave the gift of God calling you to be a man in this world, in your world. Don't let that gift be unwrapped this holiday season. Do not leave it under the tree. Pick it up, open it, embrace it. And what you're going to find, now you may be terrified. What you're going to find is an incredible gift of God for you. And that's my heart for you this holiday season. So why don't you take out your Connect card? And let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I'm going to give everybody in this room a chance right now, whether you're a man, woman, boy, or girl, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So next step A simply says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. You don't yet have a relationship with Him. If you'd like to agree with what the Bible says about you, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. There's no better time than right now to check that box, A. And as an act of your faith, Say to God, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Wash me by your blood. Become the Lord of my life. Lead me. And then we ask you to take that card and put it in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service. And we'll communicate with you. In a moment, I'm going to pray about it. Give you a chance to use your words or mine and look to God and say, God, wash me. Make me clean. Be the leader of my life. Or how about next step B? Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. I'm choosing to be baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, check the box. We'll answer your questions about it. Get you signed up for it. And we'll celebrate with you right here on this stage what God's done in your life. Or how about next step C? 
All right, so like, ladies, you can step in on this if you want to. Like I said, a lot of supplies, but I wonder if anybody would say, look, I, the truth is I didn't have a good shepherd in my home. Like, I didn't see it. I didn't see this modeled. I, I wonder if you'd say, look, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find some role models to look at. Around this room, there are some men who are pressing in with God in a big way. You can get in small groups with them, whatever, but just by checking this box, you're saying, look, maybe I don't know what it all looks like, but I'm going to go find some folks that are doing this kind of thing. Just check the box. We'll pray about that. Or how about next step D? Anybody would say, I have some steps to take to become not just a good man, but really a man of God. So here's one thing you can do. I'm going to engage church more frequently in 2015. You come here and we submit ourselves to the teaching of God's word. And God uses this to stir in us his full work. And then we can unpack what it means over the course of next year. So like if you're not all that you want, go ahead and press in right here. All right, here's next step B. Guys, this one might be hard for us, but I could use a godly friend that encourages me in my spiritual development. And I'm going to reach out this week and have a conversation with someone. Let's go ahead and commit to some action, man. I know you, you'll get, you're like me, you'll get stirred, but if you don't turn it into action, this gift will lay unwrapped under the tree. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world and that you called men across the entire spectrum of experience to follow you. So there's not a man in this room who hasn't been tapped by you on the shoulder and given a great gift, a great calling, a calling to be a shepherd and to care, nourish, protect, feed those over which we have influence. So Father, I pray right now that we would follow the good shepherd, Jesus. We wouldn't be a hired hand begrudgingly engaging our task, but we would wholeheartedly lay our lives down for those you've called us to serve. I pray for those that are declaring today, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And God, I would pray that you would raise up in this church men of God, and we would shine in this community as men who aren't just good, but we're godly and that Jesus is at the center of our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.